I have said from the beginning of the year, I thought St. Mary's was a second weekend team. I still think that to be true. I think that that is probably the ceiling that they could get back to Las Vegas for the West Regional. Again, uh, they are both in the West Regional and it would be in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena. So one more time in Las Vegas, potentially for the Zags and the Gales. How's it going, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer, and March Madness is here. Uh, we just passed Selection Sunday. We got to see where Gonzaga and St. Mary's are heading for the tournament. We got also our NIT announcement and, and did see which of the WCC teams made it there as well. And we're done with conference tournaments. We're done with the regular season. And it is now the most exciting week, in my mind, of the sports calendar. Thursday and Friday of March Madness. And I'm ready to get this going. And we're here. And it's exciting just to go through the selection show, all that process to see where teams are matched up. Obviously, the, like for me, it's like it was a lot, probably a lot less apprehensive than in many years past where uh, we were wondering if St. Mary's was going to be in the tournament, not a where they're going to be in the tournament on a regular basis. Uh, so we're going to dive into all the postseason stuff, where everyone is matched up. What do the matchups look like? Uh, we're going to bring in... Um, a couple of people to, to really kind of talk about each of the matchups. Alex Jensen, um, the play-by-play man for St. Mary's, will stop by. We'll get a chance to talk with him about what St. Mary's' situation looks like uh, for the tournament. And then also Andy Patton uh, from Locked On Zags will stop by, and we'll talk what it looks like on the Zags front and what and what we should expect from from them in this tournament and their, their breakdown and everything else. Uh, but I wanted to start with kind of a little bit of a uh, a Vegas recap. And and first, I just wanted to say uh, just how fun it was in Vegas to be able to kind of to reunite with a lot of old friends, um, some new friends, like a number, there have been a few of you who um, I've been chatting with on, on Twitter for a good, good while that I got to meet in person for the first time. And so this was, it was a really fun opportunity and really fun weekend to be able to kind of, to, to talk some WCC basketball, put some faces to the names and uh, be able to just have that experience uh, throughout the course of last weekend. Uh, obviously the recap, the big recap, obviously being that in game, that this was, we saw the last of BYU in the WCC as St. Mary's was able to take care of business. We saw the last of Khalil Shabazz in the WCC and in college basketball uh, as USF did not make a postseason tournament. So that was another really, <clears throat> really eventful mo- moments uh, for him and for anyone who's followed this league for any period of time. Uh, And then we got St. Mary's Gonzaga in the title game one more time. Uh, Gonzaga played as well as I think we've seen them play all year long. St. Mary's played as poorly as we've seen them play all year long. Uh, It was just this perfect storm for the Zags. Obviously, I'm not going to dwell too much on what that looked like. We know what St. Mary's did not do. We know what Gonzaga did do. Uh, So really, it's now just a matter of what does it look like moving forward? What does it look like going into the NCAA tournament? And and I'm going to start with 
where each of the teams ended up and where they all landed. So we'll start with Gonzaga. Gonzaga is did end up being the higher of the two, obviously, uh, and they are a three seed in the West region, and they will be taking on Grand Canyon in the first round. If you take a look at their region, uh, the sixth seed on the other side is TCU, and they will be facing the winner of one of the play-in games, Arizona State and Nevada. Uh, for, and then on the other side, and, oh, and then they will be playing in Denver, uh, which was largely expected, no huge surprise there. And then for St. Mary's, they probably ended up with one of the tougher draws. Uh, they did stay a 5C, which I was a little surprised by. I thought that the, that the loss against Gonzaga, considering how thorough the loss was, that I thought that might knock them down a seed line, but it didn't. Uh, the committee still uh, rewarded St. Mary's with a 5 seed, same as last year. So it, is, it ties a program record. And they will be going in against 12 seed VCU. And the Gales will have to travel all the way to Albany, New York to for these first couple of rounds. And this isn't the first time that St. Mary's has been sent across the country. Suddenly the but <laughs> it seems like that the tournament committee almost tries to make it as difficult as possible for St. Mary's at times. Uh and they're getting pretty familiar with that corner of the country. Uh, three of the tournament appearances, we've seen them in Providence. We've seen them in Hartford, Connecticut. Now will be Albany, New York. So they're getting real familiar with uh, that that northeastern part of the country for the NCAA tournament. And and then on the other side of that, uh, you have a three seed UConn, um, and I'm just sorry, four four seed UConn. And they will be taking off 14 seed Iona, the other Gales, Rick Pitino's um, Gales, and and so this is it's an interesting little pot. I think this is a really challenging pot for St. Mary's. Uh, first off, I and we saw it in the Gonzaga game, and we started to see little bits of it all throughout the last half of WCC play. They're not playing their best, or they haven't played really at their best in probably a while. We've had ind great individual performances. Logan Johnson has been great. We've seen some uh, really good performances still from Aiden Mahaney. We've seen some really good nights from Alex Dukas. Joshua Jefferson has really started to step up um, and play a larger role. Uh, but this is a team that just, they don't feel the same as they did maybe just a, a few weeks ago. Everything going wrong against Gonzaga doesn't help. But... Going into this one, it's 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 interesting because VCU is a team that St. Mary's is familiar with and familiar with in the W in the NCAA tournament. They did face each other back in 2017. Now, very different teams for both in both cases. Uh, and let's do a little bit of kind of like a like a little primer for what VCU is today, as opposed to what they were then. So. VCU, they are the A-10 champs. They were the automatic bid uh, from the A-10, 27-7, and 15-3. Uh, they, some of the, their notable games in the non-conference, they also, they have wins over Pitt. They have win, a win over Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State is the 14 seed in the tournament. Uh, and they also have a win over Vandy, which is an equal uh, win to what uh, St. Mary's had, that uh, like opponent. So that's something you can kind of point to. 
they've won nine straight. So they've gotten into a they've gotten into quite a bit of a rhythm. And this is a team that strives on its defense. This is the they have the 17th best adjusted defense according to Ken Palm. So this is a so like St. Mary's, this is a team that is defense first and is going to rely on that to really drive the offense. Now, but they do it in a very different way than St. Mary's does. St. Mary's primarily is a let's stay in front of you and make you take as tough a shot as possible. They drag you out, grind you out, and they're a great rebounding team. VCU is looking to turn you over. VCU is going to try to make it as difficult as possible for you to run your offense because they are so active. And that all starts uh, from Adrian Baldwin Jr., their their star point guard, who not only was the A-10 player of the year, but he was also the A-10 defensive player of the year. Uh, 12 points a game, uh, 5.8 assists. He's a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover assist to ratio guy. Almost 2.5 steals per game, which is 7th in the country. So th they have a guy who is going to dis try to disrupt this offense. And this is, again, talking about turnovers, I can very easily see, like, this is a team that's going to try to, like, implement the press because we've seen not only Gonzaga do it, but BYU do it in recent weeks to try to disrupt what St. Mary's does. Uh, so Adrian Baldwin Jr. is going to be a key component to that. Uh, and then they also have some some a veteran Michigan transfer Brandon Johns Jr. Like uh, one of their forwards shoots fifty one percent from the field. So there's also going to be this element of this vet. There's going to be some veteran presence, and a lot of these mid major teams, like mid major like A tens, kind of borderline mid major. But this these teams are going to be experienced. They're not going to be afraid of the moment. Uh, much like St. Mary's, I think there's going to be a lot of similarities on that front. They're not going to panic, I don't think, either team. Uh, and then one of the things I think to also watch out for is they have a couple of sharpshooters, uh, uh, Jaden Nunn and David Shriver, uh, both 40% three-point shooters. So it'll also be another key for St. Mary's to look at as they head into this game against VCU to kind of have Largely a perimeter team, largely a guard focused team, because no one no one in their rotation is taller than six nine. This is a team that's going to rely a lot more on its athleticism and its speed than maybe some other teams, especially some other teams that St. Mary's have seen uh this season. But they're also going to see a lot of guys. Like they have eight guys who average 17 or more minutes per game. Uh so see a little bit more of a balance maybe more so than what uh, a St. Mary's rotation might be where St. Mary's has a number of guys who are averaging 30 plus minutes per game. The rotation probably goes just about 70. We don't probably won't see much else after that. And so that's kind of like where kind of like the quick rundown of what VCU is going to, what they've done so far, what they've done recently and who, and who to really kind of like watch out for. This is, this I I'm gonna say it. It's like I mean I saw the bracket come out. I was the second I saw VCU, I cringed a bit because this is the this is a type of team that could provide problems for St. Mary's. This is the type of game five twelve 
where I could see a lot of people picking VCU to be that 512 upset in this region. Uh, this is this one's a rough one. Like I'm not not a huge fan of this matchup, especially the fact that now we can talk about the travel and the fact that St. Mary's has to go across the country where VCU is just like a six, seven hour drive away from the game site and St. Mary's has to take a six hour flight. And if you're trying to go commercial, like they're very, as even I was looking it up just to see, would it be possible to get there? I'm not going, uh, but there are not a lot of direct flights from the Bay area to Albany, New York. A lot of people I know are flying into like JFK, Newark, and they're going to drive it up. So it's about as diff. It's one of the more difficult travel trips for St. Mary's as well. Uh, any number of times, it seems like they they're traveling the furthest away to try to actually play their games, and it and it's happening one more time this season. But I think for St. Mary's, really the focus is not necessarily on the opponent. Obviously, you're going to look at matchups and scheme and all that. But they just need to play better than they have. They have not shot the ball terribly well over the last few weeks. They haven't had that same defensive intensity, it seems, that we had, we saw in the first half of WCC play. It, I mean, we, we remember, like, they were dominating teams in that first half of WCC play. It was like 20. They were winning by an average of 20 points per game, and it didn't matter who it was. If it was B. If it was LMU, Pepperdine, San Diego, USF, Santa Clara, it didn't matter. They were just steamrolling teams in the first half of WCC play, and we just have not seen that that same that same team in in a few weeks. And I think that's the more critical part to me is that that I think that they need to have almost a reset of some kind. And maybe getting out of conference play is that reset. St. Mary's is going to be a much harder team to prep for if you're not familiar with them, just because we know that they're going to slow it down, drag it out, and use the shot clock to its fullest, that this is a team that is going to provide more matchup problems and just pace problems than what you're used to seeing. But VCU is one of those few teams that, is probably going to be used to playing in that style, in that fashion. VCU is going to try to speed St. Mary's up. Of course they are. Everyone tries. Uh, but I think so long as they can control the pace and take care of the basketball, this is a good game that they can they can move on from. They can they can get past round one, and then you're starting to then you can start to look ahead at what UConn or Iona are going to bring. And that's an interesting matchup in and of itself. Like UConn was one of the one of the early favorites like this like december early january of now this oh that could be a title contender this team could actually win a championship they did hit a a really rough patch there in late january early february they it looks like they've kind of righted the ship but they've also struggled against some of the better teams uh in in the big east like they were two and five against the top three in the league uh, that being creighton xavier and also marquette so, so it's like they do struggle against some of the better teams, which to an extent, like that's supposed to happen. You're supposed to struggle against better teams, but they haven't really, they didn't separate themselves as being the best team or even one of the best teams in the Big East. They were, they finished uh, in fourth place. So there's always that. And then it'll be interesting to kind of see what Iona brings and how 
and the and what what Rick Pitino is going to bring to that team to that game uh, that Iona team 13 seed they have won 14 straight so it's not necessarily going to be a foregone conclusion that it's UConn I think there is a decent shot that it's Iona and it would be really interesting to kind of see a Gales versus Gales uh, matchup uh, and the winner would go to the Sweet 16. Now, much like Gonzaga, St. Mary's is also in the West Region. Uh, now, they, they, the West Region is stacked. I'm, I'm. It's kind of terrifying just seeing like who else is actually in this region because, like I mentioned, Gonzaga and mentioned St. Mary's are in here. The one seed is Kansas. The two is UCLA. You have the likes of Arkansas, Illinois, TCU, Gonzaga, Northwestern, Boise, Boise State. It's like this. This is a loaded, loaded region. Uh, I've seen a lot of people already on Twitter talking about how uh, that Kansas got jobbed with, <laughs> with the region that they got placed in. Uh, this is not a hugely beneficial region for them. And they're, they're right. It's, it's, it's not a largely beneficial uh, scenario for them because their second round matchup, they're going to either take on Illinois and they – there's been a lot of hype about there was hype about Illinois all season long in Arkansas. Eric Musselman has knows how to get deep into this tournament. So I, that's a matchup. I don't would not necessarily want to have either. Uh, and we don't know like exactly how long Bill self will be out. Um, so that's another thing to keep kind of keep an eye on with Kansas, especially in this region. So, there's a there's a lot to kind of like look at, a lot to kind of piece together. Uh, but before we go any further into what the region as a whole is going to like maybe play out as or anything else, uh, going to bring in Alex Jensen so we he can kind of talk a little bit more about where St. Mary's is at this stage and what we might be able to expect as they make the cross cross country trip to take on VCU. So we're going to bring on Alex Jensen, the play-by-play -play voice of St. Mary's basketball. Alex, you you saw the bracket. You were there in uh, University of Credit Union Pavilion when the announcement was made. What was your initial impression of of the St. Mary's um, the matchup they got, and then the, also the, then the region they also got put in? Yeah, well, first things first. I mean, it's always. I mean, you know, Coach Bennett said as much in in at the selection party on Sunday, but it's always cool to see your name up there, you know? And, and honestly, like, I mean, I think we were talking before Zach, it was like, you know, we're expecting a six, hopefully not a seven to be a five is kind of a sign of respect for what St. Mary has been able to do this season. Uh, you know, kind of where the WCC has been the last couple of years, although it was probably stronger top to bottom a year ago. So I think that's the first takeaway, but, um, you know, we were just looking at the five seeds before you hit record here, and uh, every single five seed is out east. I mean, S San Diego State, the Mountain West got four teams in, um, you know, and San Diego State won the regular season and conference tournament championships, still got sent to Orlando. So I think my initial reaction was, you know, as a five seed being sent to Albany, where you have three other East Coast teams. Looking at San Diego State's draw, too, I guess a little bit of that sting is taken away from me, or, you know, a little bit of that sting sting is taken away from a St. Mary's perspective, at least, because all five, all four of the five seeds are are, are on the East Coast. The matchup's an interesting one. I mean, VCU's 
probably one of the hottest teams in the country. They've won nine in a row. Uh, they've played really well in the Atlantic 10. I, I It's funny, I actually watched that, that Dayton-VCU game just before going heading out to Moraga. And I wish I watched it closer, but VCU was down in that game by 11 points. And uh, this is actually a rematch. I'm sure you'll touch on this, but a rematch of the 2017 first round, a 7-10 matchup, uh, St. Mary's and VCU. So, you know, I think both really good defensive clubs. They both do it in different ways. VCU is more of a pressure defensive team, which I know some St. Mary's fans are probably going to look at that given what happened uh, in the Gales' last three games and and shudder a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think we, we've seen it a lot. When Randy Bennett has time to prepare for an opponent, his team is ready to play more often than not. So, um, you know, I, I guess in some ways it, the Gales are fortunate that they've seen a full-court press for the better part of their last three games to help them get ready uh, for what they're going to see against VCU. But that's my initial thoughts. It's It's a super compelling matchup. It's two programs that are that share a lot of similarities and really good mid-major programs who have been to the NCAA tournament a lot. And that's what March is all about. And you talked about like the uh yeah, it's almost almost a little fortuitous, even though it's been chaotic and not the best of facing the press the last uh few games, but now at least they've seen it a few games. Uh from what you've seen about how this team has played and maybe kind of like wiped the Gonzaga game that last Gonzaga game kind of clean because that was as bad as we've seen them play in a long time um, on both sides. What, what can, can, what do you think is going to be kind of a key going into this one? VCU does seem a little bit smaller. So like maybe this is a Mitchell Saxon game. What's, what's kind of like your read on like initially, like how, how the Gales are going to have to go into this one. Well, first things first, I think it's going to be hanging on to the basketball. I mean, VCU forces 16 and a half turnovers per game. We were just going over some of the numbers before, uh, you know, before we started here. And in, in the Gales wins, they're averaging less than 10 turnovers per game. And their losses, they're averaging four, over 14. When they turn it over less than 14 times, uh, Zach, they're 23 and 3 uh, this year. And VCU, that, that's what VCU lives on, is forcing you to turn over the basketball. Um, so that's that's number one. You, you, you got to be able to handle their pressure defense um, and and hold on to the ball, because when St. Mary's holds on to the ball, they've been pretty darn good this year. I think it's fair to say that. And then you also and one thing I, I gleaned and you, you brought up Mitchell Saxon, Zach, one thing I, I took away from that Dayton VCU game is the Flyers really played through the post a lot. I mean, they they're I, I thought Dayton was actually kind of built similar to St. Mary's. They haven't had. Uh, you know, similar results this year. I know it's been a disappointing year for for Dayton, but they went through the post a lot, and that's kind of how they built that big 11-point lead in the second half, which VCU uh, ultimately came back from. So, you know, I, I think holding on to the basketball is number one. And then number two, like you mentioned, I mean, there's not, I don't think there's a player on VCU who's 6'10 and over uh, or who's yeah, 6'10 or taller, if, if I have that right. And then I'll, I'll have it right by Friday, I promise. But um, you know, I think St. <laughs> Mary's using their size of it. This is a big, St. Mary's is a big team. I mean, they're big on the wings. Uh, they're big in the front court. They, their depth is big. Um, so, and the other part of that deal, Zach, is that VCU is, is not a great rebounding team. If you look at their numbers in Ken Palm, uh, and on the year in terms of rebounding margin, they only have a very, they have a very slim margin, less than half a rebound per game over their opponents. And that's where St. Mary's has been really strong this year. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the country. So holding on to the basketball, controlling the glass, and outscoring the Rams in the paint, it's going to be an athletic 
uh, team the Gales are going to face. But I think number one, holding on to the basketball, number two, controlling the glass, and number three, really being able to score inside and, and get the pace where you want it. Don't allow the, the press to kind of get you out of what you want to do. Break the press, get into the to the half court, and then make make VCU guard multiple actions. That's what St. Mary's been, you know, good at this entire year. Yeah, and you say like the as you talk about the pace. So obviously, we know like St. Mary's is going to play at a very deliberate pace. They're going to try to slow it down. VCU is going to try to speed them up. Um, and if they can, the faster we know that St. Mary's can get like get past that press and get into their offense, the better they're going to be off uh, this coming Friday. So, like, with the region in general, yes, VCU, if they were to get by by the Rams and they do get a second-round matchup, it's either going to be UConn, who has been a a favorite of a lot of people uh, throughout the country throughout the course of the year, or it's going to be Rick Pitino's Iona Gales uh, on the other side. And as you kind of, like, potentially, like, look a little further into the weekend, if St. Mary's is to get by game one, uh, What's kind of like the interesting matchup that you see in between those two? Because it does seem like they either one. I'll, I do think it's going to be UConn, but uh, even this Gales versus Gales uh, matchup does at least like add some level storylines. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to see the Gales against the Gales, right? I mean, <laughs> I think we would all love to see that. I'm just kind of taking a, a, a brief snapshot at, at these two teams. UConn, I mean, UConn was weren't they number one in the country at one point there in January yeah. before? Uh, you know, they fell on some tough times. At one point, they lost five out of six, which, you know, I mean, you look at their five losses, right? Xavier, Providence, Marquette, St. John, Seton Hall. Those are five pretty good teams. Their one win during that stretch was was at home against Creighton. So, uh, you know, the Huskies are battle-tested, uh, without a doubt. And, um, you know, the sixth-ranked offense, according to Ken Palm, and I haven't uh, dug too deep into this. One interesting note about UConn, they're the best offensive rebounding team in the country. Uh, which would be a very interesting match. We just talked about how good the Gales uh, have been on the boards this year. And then, you know, Iona, obviously, they've been a very good mid-major team even before Rick Pitino. Uh, You know, they have a couple of common opponents with St. Mary's. They lost to Santa Clara earlier in the year. They lost to New Mexico. Um, And, you know, Iona is, well, they're kind of, you know, they're top tier, top third of the country in both offense and defense. Uh, and again, I haven't dug into these a whole lot, but I think it would be a really compelling Gales against Gales matchup. I mean, I, I always love, and you, it's funny, Zach, you, you go back to 2010 when the Gales made the Sweet 16 and they went through the 8-10 in the first round and the Big East in the second round in Richmond and Villanova. If they were to do the same here, if UConn won, that would be, uh, you know, the same formula, which is which is uh, kind of fun for uh, us Gales to to make a connection. So, you know, I think it's kind of twofold. I, I always enjoy seeing St. Mary's, you know, I go through kind of the best that there is to offer in their pod. And we saw that last year, uh, you know, with, with UCLA and uh, in Indiana. Uh, so I think, you know, I'm going to kind of straddle the line here, Zach. I think uh, either one would be a lot of fun. You know, I own a, the, the storylines surrounding Rick Pitino and what they've been able to do in their program over the last few years are plentiful. It would be Gales on Gales as well. And, uh, you know, with uh, with Connecticut, I, I think you want to test yourself against the best. And, and UConn is number four, by the way, overall in, in Ken Palm. And, um, you know, obviously, I think Ken Palm knows what he's talking about, right? They started <laughs> the season 14-0. and 0. They're another slow-paced team. So I think either one, uh, you know, it, it's hard to dig into the matchups like the X's and O's right. too much before – 
uh, we really kind of get into the swing of things and get later into the week here and, and you know, assuming the Gales were able to uh, get by VCU. Um, but, you know, I think on paper, either one would be would be a fun matchup. But, um, yeah, again, it's just a fun time here to be able to look at this stuff. And and obviously, like the the optimistic, the most optimistic view. And I I thought it before the year that this that this St. Mary's team was capable of being a second weekend team. And if they were a second weekend team, that means they would be heading back to Las Vegas for the West Regional, uh, moving down the street from the Orleans to T-Mobile Arena, and potentially there's a, a another matchup with the Zags that could potentially happen in that region. Obviously, like St. Mary's would also have to probably go through either Kansas or Arkansas to, to get to that one. But uh, just kind of like, like, is there some level of almost like familiarity or, comf- or comfort the fact that like if so- somehow we got through weekend one, that we're going back to a city we're very familiar with? I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, we just talked about, you know, going, having to go back East, but you know, the fact that you're in the West region, um, you know, is, is, is a nice feeling not having to travel all the way across the country again. Uh, and we just, you know, we just talked about uh, San Diego state uh, for example, and the Aztecs, I believe would have to go to Louisville if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, from, if they, if they won, you know, so we're t- talking about the two West coast five seeds, you know, if the Aztecs win, they'd have to go Orlando all the way back to San Diego Back to Louisville. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a level of comfort in knowing that if you win two games, you get to stay out west. You come back to Moraga and you only have the hour or so flight uh, out to Las Vegas. I think it's it, it's a nice feeling to have. Um, you mentioned the, the West region. And I mean, for my money, Zach, I mean, I think this is the deepest the deepest region, perhaps, when you look at just the top four or five seeds, you know, Kansas is the one, you know, if they beat Texas in the Big 12 championship, um, they're probably the number two overall seed, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, TCU is the six. They beat Kansas and Lawrence. I know they're they're going to miss their, their uh, center who just decided to transfer. Gonzaga is the three, you know, UCLA, they're, they're, they're a little bit banged up, but, you know, um, Mick Cronin does such a good job with that program that. Um, you know, they, shoot, they almost beat Arizona in the title game, missing a couple of starters, right? Um, so yeah, I, I I think being able to go back to Vegas is certain would certainly be a boon for for the Gales. It would make it easier for St. Mary's fans to travel there. Uh, we saw the the you know the presence in Portland. It's going to be easier, you know, said than done. But you look at the West Region, man. I mean, we we're just talking about it. it's uh, it's 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 a gauntlet. So. If the Gales are able to get to Vegas, that means, uh, you know, first of all, they were, they were able to kind of match their their deepest run in, in 2010. And we would all be happy with that. Both of us would be happy with that yeah. anyway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, it you know, none of these matchups are going to be easy. But being able to, to go to Vegas would be a nice reward. There's no doubt about that. All right. Well, I'll get you out of here um, with on this of, like, what's – as you kind of, like, get ready for this trip, it's like – all right, I think I took a look at the weather. It looks like there's a winter storm coming in. I know, like, we've had there our is? own little storm. Oh, at no. least today, it's either, like, today or tomorrow. There's a winter storm coming in, so maybe by Friday it'll be fine. Uh, but uh, it looks like it's going to be a little colder than, obviously, us Californians, especially us in the Bay Area, are used to. Uh, so <laughs> have you gotten a chance to to scout out what – what on the off day you might want to check out in Albany uh, for maybe even some of the other Gales who are making the trip? 
I have not yet. I have not gotten to that point. Um, when I got back uh, yesterday from the selection show, my fiance is a big uh, award show and, and movie buff. So we watched the Oscars. Uh, so I have not got, I, I will do that today though. That That's part of my, uh, pre- and this is the first time, by the way, Zach, the Gale's not played on Thursday, I think, since I've been doing this. Uh, so in the last 10, 11 years, so there's an, an extra day to kind of, all right, what do we got in Albany? You know, um, some, maybe some good restaurants and, and stuff like that. I think we are missing some of the worst of that winter storm. If I'm not mistaken, when we land, the high is like a 30, 38, the low is 20 something, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so thankfully we're missing that. Uh, but I have not been able to, to scout it out. I'm sure, you know, uh, Mike Matoso, Tom Carroll, all the powers that be will, uh, will have, will have plenty of, um, plenty of good spots scouted out for us to, to go check out. But uh, I will also be, there's also some talk by the way of some folks, maybe, making the trip to Cooperstown if the Gales win, which is about an hour and a half away, which I was lucky enough to do a few years ago, but I would be more than happy uh, to go back. So that, that is, that, that's a big one uh, for that, me. You know, I'm a base, big baseball fan, as you know, Zach. So um, that, that would be a, a fun little day trip. Yeah, ab- absolutely. If, if they're able to get past day one, yeah, that off day, a day a off to Cooperstown would be a great one. I was able to do it once back in the day. Um, and it, yeah, it's, if you are a baseball fan, it's almost like a, it's the pilgrimage. You have to make it to Cooperstown at least once. Got to do uh, it. You got to do it. All right. Th- uh, thanks, Alex, for hopping on. Um, safe travels to Albany. Um, hopefully bring back a couple wins and then we'll, and then make the trip on to uh, Las Vegas. Thanks for having me, Zach. All right. Want to thank Alex for hopping on. It's always great to be able to talk with him and really kind of dive into what St. Mary's is going to uh, try to do, try to do against VCU and what we might be able to expect in that one. Uh, so some of the other news that came out uh, over the last week that, that I talked very briefly about and said, I would talk a little bit more about is the fact that the WCC has a new commissioner. Uh, Stu Jackson uh, was announced as the new WCC commissioner last Monday, I believe it was. And and it was, and so if you haven't seen his resume, uh, he was just most recently uh, the executive associate commissioner of men's bas- of men's basketball for the Big East Conference. Uh, he's also spent time uh, in the NBA as the senior VP and also executive uh, vice president for basketball operations. Uh, he was the Grizzly, the Vancouver Grizzlies president and GM from 94 to 2000. Uh, and he's also a, um, a small note of, he's a 78 grad from Seattle U. And and as we've talked about realignment or whatnot, obviously like Seattle U is a interesting, uh, kind of almost like footnote in there uh, as far as we, as we talk about everything else. And I was, and I, and as he's coming in, as he had his introductory press conference, uh, there's obviously some big things on the docket for the WCC that need to be hammered out, that need to be discussed, that can't be ignored. And when you really start to think about where the WCC is and the 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 grand scope of college basketball right now, there's it's not a sense of like that the WCC is in trouble. I don't think the WCC is in trouble, but I do think that the WCC can, 
has to be proactive in what is happening with the rest of realignment and and the media deals and everything else. This is not a the WCC cannot sit back and wait. The WCC needs to act and really be proactive in this marketplace. And there's any number of things we can think think about as a conference level thing that needs to be hammered out. And I'm sure a number of you have felt this pain, and this is no, no, maybe the num the one of the big things on mine is the TV deal, not necessarily the ESPN deal, because I feel like that's been a that's been a really successful component of what the WCC has been able to to negotiate. What ESPN has been able to provide on a broadcasting front, I don't think there's necessarily an issue there. It's the what about the games that are not on ESPN. What about all the others? Because there's way, it's way too often that we get games that are on the WCC network, hard to find on local stations, or just unavailable for various blackout reasons. And this is, this is maybe the more problematic thing to me, is it needs you need to make games more easily accessible for, for the fans in the league. Because... The WCC network, and I'm not alone in this, like it is a pain trying to connect to find your game on the WCC network, plug it into your TV, hope that the stream is working and, and then make sure that it doesn't crap out on you at some point during the broadcast. I've had it happen. I'm sure a number of you have had, have had it happen too. That is, you got to make the product available and that's, N- number one to me. And number two is kind of like a, like two a and two B and really kind of on priority front, you could say this is one and one, one a one B is what happens with Gonzaga. What about expansion? BYU is now done with the WCC or will be done completely with the WCC. Once the spring sports are done. And the question is, what's next? What do you do after that? In the off season, we talked about the idea of, could it be Grand Canyon? Could it be Denver? What about Seattle U? What about Cal Baptist? Like all these other potential schools that, are they fits for the WCC? Are they right for the WCC? How do you replace BYU? I don't know if there's a great answer still for that. I don't, because I don't think you can replace BYU one for one. It's almost kind of like the idea of what the Big 12 did. You're not replacing Texas and Oklahoma one for one. So they went out and got four schools instead of two. And how does how does that impact what Gonzaga is doing if it does at all? How do you keep Gonzaga happy enough to to stay put? And I think there's there's two conversations there uh, with Gonzaga. Stu Jackson did make the comment that he doesn't think that Gonzaga, he doesn't get the sense that Gonzaga is going anywhere, that he's just looking at them as they are a WCC school. This is where they are. And, and he doesn't get the sense that a move is imminent. We know Gonzaga has talked to the big East. We know Gonzaga has talked to the big 12. We also know that with the, with some of the other TV deals and 
the Big 12 being very proactive in trying to recruit potentially other schools, that the Pac-12 is potentially in in a dire scenario. And they have not seemed to want to budge on the Gonzaga possibility either. And and yes, they've taught and Gonzaga has talked with both the Big East and the Big Twelve. And does Gonzaga want to go? Probably, sure. Like it makes a lot of sense on a basketball front that they would want to join those two leagues. They are far more competitive leagues overall than the WCC. I'm not going to make any sort of like statement that that the Big East is not a deeper league, that the Big 12 obviously is like the best basketball conference in the country. Those are facts. But the the desire has to be reciprocal. And I do, and while I, while the idea that Gonzaga may not be bothered by the travel that going into the Big East would would be, or even going into the Big 12 would be, you have to convince the other schools that going up to Spokane is worth it. That making that long trip out there, I mean, think about it. Like if I'm Providence, if I'm Villanova, if I'm St. John's, one of those teams that sits on the East Coast, why would I want Gonzaga have to travel all the way out to Spokane to potentially play that one game? The closest Big East school is Creighton, which is 1,300 miles away. And what about the Big 12? Kind of almost the same deal. The closest Big 12 team is where? Kansas? Kansas State? That's a long trek. That's even long. That's even further than uh, the trip to Creighton. And then their furthest team away is West Virginia. And I don't know how many people in West Virginia are going to travel all the way out to Washington for a conference game. So there, there does have to be some back and forth on this because the conference may want it, but to do, but do this or Gonzaga may want it, the league office might want it, but do the schools, and that is still a a component that I don't think can be ignored, nor can you like dismiss the way all of those schools think about think about the scenario. But that all comes back to then what makes it worth it for Gonzaga to stay? What makes it worth it? Because at a certain point, someone is going to come with the deal that entices them enough to go and enough of the schools on the other side to be convinced that this is the right move. So what are those, what are those changes? Is it, are we looking at changes in the TV deal? I think that would definitely be part of it. I don't think you could do much more with the tournament shares. Gonzaga already has such a beneficial deal on that front that I don't think it really impacts them at all. I don't think that there's anything more the WCC can do on that front, I should say. The competitiveness of the rest of the schools. I do. It does feel like Santa Clara is making a move and they're being more consistent. I, USF has made strides over the last few years. LMU obviously has been much better, but it's the sustainability of those programs as opposed to the one-offs. We got to have LMU step up next year and be right around the same where they were this year, if not better. Same goes for USF. Santa Clara also has to kind of make that next move and move up and whatnot. 
You can't have it just be Gonzaga St. Mary's, Gonzaga St. Mary's. There has to be some some competitiveness from that from that middle, but also the bottom needs to come up too. Pepperdine having the year they had is not helping. San Diego having the year they had not helping. And then and and so that's part of the conversation. Do you add without BYU? Do you, we go back to that conversation of like, is there a school that makes sense? Um, I don't know if there is one that kind of like makes sense off the top of my head. I don't know if there's one competitively, if there's one that fits culturally. Maybe it's a few, but we've also seen like the WCC re-added Pacific and that has not necessarily worked out. I think the way a lot of probably WCC members thought it would. So there's a lot on the plate for the new commissioner. There's a lot on the plate for Stu Jackson. There's a lot of components here. Is he the right fit? I do. It does seem a little odd to me that someone with so much experience all over the basketball map, like he has an imprint in the NBA and college basketball and everywhere in between, the why the WCC, it seem, that's the part that seems a little odd to me. Uh, I mean, the resume is great. He looks like he's checking off all the right boxes. It looks like he, sh he should be able to help move this conference in the right direction. Uh, and time will tell on whether or not this was the right move. It does seem like it's the right move to me, uh, just looking off the resume and where what the WCC needs to improve upon in the next few years. Uh, he specifically meant, talked about scheduling and how the conference can help a little bit more on that front. And that would be, obviously, that's a great, great way to kind of convince, uh, not just to convince Gonzaga, because Gonzaga can basically schedule whoever they want at the stage, but to help the other teams in the conference really bolster the, those schedules, those non-conference schedules. Uh, because we all know it's like how difficult it can be for some of those conferences to schedule uh, some of these uh, conference versus conference challenges, I think are gr are great options. WCC really hasn't done one of those, uh, but if one with the Mountain West or if one with the Pac-12 were to be put together, those seem like they make a lot of sense for the league as a whole. So yeah, so we'll get into so we'll see as he's as he takes over um, in uh, late April. Uh, what it looks like going into the summer, what changes we could potentially see going into next basketball season. Uh, so a lot to kind of like um, marinate on, think about as we go into the off season. All right. So as we talked about, a lot of a lot of that focuses on Gonzaga, and so we'll folk we'll transition to Gonzaga's matchup in the first round of the NCAA tournament against. Grand Canyon, one of those WCC potentials, one of those names that have popped up as a WCC potential school. Grand Canyon, 24 and 11, 11 and 7. They were fifth in the WAC, but they did win the WAC tournament. They have won 9 of 10. Uh, and on paper, again, this is a three, this is a 314 matchup. I don't think Gonzaga is going to have a whole lot of trouble here. Uh, but 
there are some things to watch. I, I don't think you can completely dismiss Grand Canyon. I think they're going to give Gonzaga at least a little bit of a run uh, early. Uh, <clears throat> and you really have to start at, at the guard spot. Uh, Ray Harrison, their 6'4 guard, averaging 17 points a game. Uh, one of the interesting notes is that he's kind of like, he's really picked it up over the last like few weeks. He's had 25 plus points in four of the la- four of his last six games. And he gets to the line a lot. 232 attempts uh, this season. He nearly, he has about the same as uh, Drew Timmy. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on the Gonzaga guards. Uh, so I don't know, like now one of the things we saw that what they did what Gonzaga did on St. Mary's that they switched Julian Strother on to uh, Aiden Mahaney. So maybe we see something kind of similar here uh, to add some length and maybe make that drive to the basket, at least a little bit harder. Uh, and obviously like Strother is a great de- defender. So like that could also be something to look at, but then also this is a team that no- that shoots the three really well. They shoot 30, 38% as a team. They make on an average nine per game. And they have a couple of guys, uh, Chance McMillan and also Noah Bauman, who are 44 and 42% from three, respectively. So this is a team that's going to shoot. They're going to shoot often. And if they have a good night from the perimeter, that that gives them a shot. It could keep them in the game, keep them in there late. And then as we know, if if a lower seed stays in a game longer and longer and longer, the crowd starts to turn on that higher seed and starts rooting for the upset. But this also, this Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon team is also just not very big. Uh, their, their leading rebounder, uh, Gabe McLaughlin, uh, averaging almost eight rebounds a game. He's six, seven. So this does, this could potentially be a problem for, Grand Canyon and an, an advantage for Gonzaga because obviously Gonzaga is has a very big front line between Strother, Watson, and Timmy. This is this is a Gonzaga front line that's going to be able to pound you if you are little, if you are small. If 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 forget I why do I feel like we're going to get a lot of like the too small uh, uh, taunts during that game because there's a lot of that that could happen and. That's going to happen, I think, in this game. And also just because Gonzaga's been playing so well over the last month and a half. Like, I I said it after the win on Tuesday night that I Gonzaga is playing their best basketball right now. I would not want to be in the, a region with Gonzaga because I think that they have the potential to go on a run. Now, having seen the region they got placed in, I think it's kind of like, ooh, n- Maybe I'm going to pump the brakes because there are some there are some brutal matchups in here. I don't think any anyone's going to come out of here unscathed. Like the West region is just going to be a gauntlet to get through. Like you look at some of the other regions, like the Midwest does not look all that difficult. The uh, the South does. I think the South is ripe for a ton of upsets, which could really benefit Alabama as they go through um, their region. Yeah, this this Gonzaga team, the way this is set up, I think they're at least set up, obviously, to get through round one. Round two is going to be interesting. I think this TCU team, 
uh, while they have also been banged up, I think like that they they're not going to be a pushover for Gonzaga. I think that they're going to really give them a run, assuming it's assuming it's TCU, Arizona State, and uh, Nevada. I think are far worse matchups. Those two teams, I'd say, like don't match up as well against Gonzaga. Should rephrase it that way. But I want to get a sense of where, where Zag Nation kind of think thinks of this region, where what we could potentially see. So let's go ahead and actually talk to Andy Patton from Locked On Zags, and he will be able to tell us what's what's the vibe check on what on this region for for the Zags. All right, we are once again joined by our good friend Andy Patton from Locked On Zags and the Locked On College Basketball Podcasts. Um, Andy, what was your initial impression when you saw the bracket for Gonzaga and the region they were in, and when when you saw their name pop up, what what were your first thoughts? Well, my first thought was kind of quickly looking at who the sixth seed was because we, we kind of knew Gonzaga was going to land on the three line, especially once Arizona beat UCLA in the Pac-12 championship. That kind of solidified a three seed for the Zags, and most of the bracketologists had Gonzaga playing Creighton as the sixth seed, and that kept making me nervous because I think Creighton's a, a, not a very good matchup for Gonzaga. I think they, they're a, a very dangerous sixth seed potentially, but TCU – especially knowing, as we know now, that Eddie Lampkin, uh, their starting center, a, a good rebounder, not a huge scorer for them, but, but a, a solid low post presence. He's no longer with the team. He hasn't been with the team for a little over a week now. He has some significant issues with the coaching staff, has entered the transfer portal. And so for me, like, you know, there, we can talk about the Grand Canyon of it because that's certainly an element as well. And there, there are some reasons that Grand Canyon could potentially be dangerous for the Zags. But a six-seeded TCU team without their starting center – followed by a two-seeded UCLA team missing the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year in Jalen Clark while playing in Denver, it's hard not to like the draw that the Zags got here. Like, all things considered, you know, they're going to get a, t a tough one seed in Kansas, but if if the really tough matchup that you see ahead in your bracket doesn't come to the Elite Eight, you got to feel pretty good about that. And that doesn't mean that Grand Canyon's a cakewalk. That doesn't mean TCU, even without Lampkin's a cakewalk. Certainly UCLA isn't, but... I think you got to feel good about about how the, how this thing shook out for the Zags, and really kind of like looking at that. It almost you're right. It's like almost kind of like some of the chips are just kind of like falling yeah. into place just based off of circumstance and uh -huh. uh, some of these other uh, schools and then some of these other programs. Um, so let's so let's I guess take a look at Grand Canyon and kind of like what mm -hmm. they're going to bring uh, this Friday. Uh, this is. I mean, this is a team that does shoot the three well. They yeah. have really good guard play. Mm -hmm. uh, Obviously, like I don't like. I mm -hmm. think the chances of them knocking off Gonzaga is pretty slim. Sure. But if this team catches fire, it's like it's, they could mm -hmm. at least like hang around in that contest. Absolutely, yeah. I was uh, I I stuck around in Las Vegas for a few extra days after the WCC tournament, uh, and I'm glad that I did because I, I went to go see my alma mater, Seattle U, uh, my other alma mater, I should say, um, <laughs> and I they played Grand Canyon, and Seattle U beat Grand Canyon twice in the regular season. I thought, okay, they'll, they should be able to advance here, and. Grand Canyon played a really good game. They were down for most of the first half, but they they tightened up on defense. The outside shooting is absolutely there for them. It's the team that shoots 38% from deep on the year. They're 16th in the country in three-point field goal percentage. Like, if there's one thing that's going to make Gonzaga fans sweat between now and Friday afternoon when that game tips off, that's what it's going to be, and it should be. This team caught fire. Ray Harrison, really, really talented player, averaged a little a hair under 18 a game this past year. Uh, this team was the fifth seed in the WAC. 
I wasn't expected to be the team coming out of that conference in the big dance. I think Utah Valley or Southern Utah were kind of the, the potential favorites there, but yet here we are Grand Canyon's in the tournament. They travel well. They have a, a passionate fan base. They're a good outside shooting team. You can see, you can kind of, you know, squint and put together the pieces to see how this could end up being an upset. Uh, but they're a bad free throw shooting team and they don't have a lot of low post presence. And, at the end of the day, Drew Timmy sometimes feels kind of inevitable. And I feel like in this game, it's going to be really difficult for the Lopes to to find a way to stop him. And even if they do shoot well from beyond the arc, I, I'm not sure that that's going to matter, uh, other than maybe keeping this game a little closer than it should be. I, so on the Gonzaga side, like this team, like, and I've, and I've even said this, so like this team is playing its best basketball yeah. right now. They seem to have gotten better and better over the last month and a half. What could... What concern or like is there a concern about like how Gonzaga is playing at this stage that could potentially uh show up in these early games? Because right now like I'm having a hard time seeing where that that weakness almost is at right now. Yeah, I can understand why people who follow St. Mary's could feel that way because they <laughs> looked pretty darn uh, unbeatable in that game on Tuesday. Uh I, I defense is still the issue for this team and I think you look at the the full season scope of their def- their defense and a lot of people are going to rule them out and say well they're Ken Palm has them 75th in defense and 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 certainly that is a, a factor and and no team has won the national championship with a defensive rating, I believe 22nd is the worst def- defensive rating in Ken Palm that has ever won a national championship. So you can see why that's a concern for Gonzaga, but their defense has been so much better as of late. And I think that it's important to contextualize that of like, yeah, their defense struggled against Texas in the second game of the season on November 11th, when we didn't know who Texas was, we did not know that they had that caliber of a program. It was their first game in the Moody center, their first big game there. So like, Context matters in these situations. Purdue wasn't a team expected to be as good as they were when Gonzaga played them in November as well. So some of their defensive numbers are kind of just a product of them finding themselves early in the year. You know, we saw them make some adjustments as the year went on. They they uh, started implementing that one-two-two trap against St. Mary's. They've used that in other games as well. And you can start to kind of see the pieces defensively coming together. I think if there was an issue, it is still their perimeter defense. And that's where that's where a team like Grand Canyon could potentially exploit that. Uh, and even if you you know if you look past that game, you look at a potential second round matchup against TCU. Mike Miles Jr. is one of the best point guards in the entire country. And while Nolan Hickman has improved considerably as a defensive player, while Hunter Salas coming off the bench is an elite on ball defensive player, he's going to give them a lot of trouble in, in that matchup. And I think pick and roll defense is still an issue. Transition defense. That's how BYU just hit, rained threes on them all game long because they got out in transition. They found open shooters. Not a lot of other teams have been able to do that against Gonzaga. And I'm curious uh, if if these NCAA tournament teams, if they're watching tape and they watch that BYU game and they see how they got out in transition, they pushed the ball forward, shooters lined up around the perimeter, the amount of times where the Gonzaga's defense was just a step slow. They were they were a rotation slow, and somebody got a wide open look. If a team can figure out to do that against Gonzaga, I think we could we could have some issues. And of course, the rim protection hasn't been there all season long. Uh, the, that's not going to magically change. Gonzaga doesn't have rim protectors on the roster. Nobody's going to step up and all of a sudden become an enforcer down low. So if teams can find ways to get downhill to get towards the basket, that's going to exploit some issues for the Zags. They're definitely not a foolproof team, but offensively. Few teams have figured out how to stop them this year, and the ones that did, did it early in the year. The last few months, they have looked pretty much unstoppable on that end of the floor. But if you can find a way to score 
80 plus points, 90 plus points on them, which is definitely doable for some of the better offensive teams. Uh, you could at least get into a shootout with them. And, and at that point it could be anybody's game. So what's, so taking a look at the bracket, because I think a, even going into the tournament, I, it did feel like the, the, the ceiling for Gonzaga maybe wasn't necessarily like championship, but like, but like getting back to like the final four was like a possibility now seeing the brackets, like what's your read on like what actually that, that ceiling is for this team, because it does seem like that's maybe actually still about right. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think Gonzaga fans probably need to root for Kansas to get upset early in the brackets. Maybe a Yukon can somehow pull off a victory. Heck, we would we would take a St. Mary's victory if they could pull a pull a chance and stop Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick and beat the Jayhawks because that's a matchup that I've looked at it a hundred different times because I thought there was a real good chance that Kansas and Gonzaga would end up on the same side and it's hard to find a way that Gonzaga wins that game. Kansas is so deep. They're so talented. They have such good guard play with Dewan Harris. Uh, great outside shooting from a guy like Grady Dick. Jalen Wilson is an all-around superstar. And I think if Gonzaga does, again, no guarantees they advance past even Grand Canyon, of course, but but if we can assume they can get into a Sweet 16, I think I like their odds against UCLA without Jalen Clark, potentially without a Dambona. We don't know what his health is going to be by that point, but he did not play in the Pac-12 championship game. He's one of their kind of enforcers down low. I think Gonzaga's got a very good chance of going to the Elite Eight. And, and I think for a lot of Gonzaga fans, that is almost, that that probably exceeds the expectations that people had for this team in November when they were losing games uh, and getting blown out in January when they lost to LMU. If you told people then, I know if I'd said on my podcast the day after that game, hey, Gonzaga's still going to make the Elite Eight, I think I'd have gotten a lot of nasty comments on the YouTube <laughs> section. Um, but but I think there's a very real possibility that that ends up the, the case. Can they make the Final Four? Of course. Absolutely. Can they beat Kansas? Yes. But I think that's a really, really hard matchup for them. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's where their season ends. But, uh, hey, there's Kansas has got to win a couple games to get there as well. So so ceiling was looking probably final four. But realistically, even just like looking at it, it's like it does seem like they're the Zags are very well set up to return to the Sweet 16, mm -hmm. at very least the yep. Sweet 16. Or was it the eighth straight year? Yeah, it would be eighth the eighth straight, straight year. Tournament? Yeah. Yeah, I feel good um, about them making the Sweet 16. Yeah, and again, like that's for all like the the haters or whatever else. Like you, it's hard to deny that yeah. that level of consistency yep. and success uh, uh, that they've had in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, over overall, like as you've seen the bracket, as you've kind of seen this play out, like mm -hmm. um, who would who's your pick to just like win, to win it all, and maybe who's like an ups an early upset that you that you see. And yes, I know that the VCU St. Mary's one is a real tempting one to actually pick. Yeah. I, yeah. We can talk more about that, but I, I, I don't love that draw for St. Mary's uh, five, 12 upsets are obviously trendy picks for a reason. Uh, I thought St. Mary's, I'm glad St. Mary's got a five seed. I think they earned that. Uh, VCU is a very, very tough team, but for me, if I'm picking a five, 12 upset this year, uh, I'm picking Charleston over San Diego state. That's, that's absolutely an upset that I could see happening in the mountain West. Uh, Loves to underperform in March. Quite honestly, that's something that we've seen from that conference a lot. Charleston's a really, really good team. Uh, in terms of other high-ranking teams that I think could get upset early, um, if Memphis beats Florida Atlantic as an 8-9 game, Memphis would then play Purdue. I really like Memphis against Purdue as a potential nine seed upsetting a one seed. Memphis has athletes. Kendrick Davis is one of the best point guards in the country. Uh, 
it's kind of a, a veteran guard matchup versus some really young guards for Purdue. Uh, Purdue has struggled with pressure significantly this year. I think if Memphis puts out his own press or a, a full court press of some kind, forces those guards for Purdue to really kind of handle that kind of pressure. Some high-level athletes, athletes they haven't necessarily seen all that much in the Big Ten. Uh, I think there's a chance for a potential early upset for Purdue. And in terms of my championships, um, I think I have a Final Four. I'm seeing if I can remember it off the top of my head. I believe my Final Four is Arizona over Alabama, which is a bit controversial, but I'm, I'm struggling to see how Alabama would guard those bigs of Azulis Tabellas and Umar Balo for the Wildcats. Duke coming out of that bottom region as a five seed. Kansas coming out of Gonzaga and St. Mary's region. And then uh, Texas uh, coming out of the top region. For me, I, I think Kansas is going to win it all. Uh, obviously, the health of Bill Self is a, is a big question mark for that team right now. But with or without him on the sideline, I think there's a good chance that the Jayhawks uh, break the curse and end up repeating as national champions. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Andy, for hopping, yeah. hopping on, stopping by. Uh, obviously, we, we hope to see both St. Mary's and Gonzaga make it to the second weekend so we can continue to talk about that. And then it's also the potential matchup in Vegas, the reuniting in Vegas. Uh, if if all the chips actually fall into place for both teams uh, over the next two weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Zach. Appreciate it. All right. And so we have Gonzaga as a three seed in the West. We have St. Mary's as a five seed in the West. What about the other WCC teams? Where did they all land? And the unfortunate answer is that only one did make it to another postseason tournament, and that was Santa Clara. They did get an invite to the NIT, which for the second straight year, they'll be in that tournament. I, that's a great, great uh, spot for them. I was a little afraid that the loss to USF might have cost them, but they were able to sneak in. They are a seven seed um, in one of the regions for the NIT. So we got one more, at least one more game of Brandon Pajemski. Uh, still, we'll see whether or not how his draft stock improves, stays right where it is um, as we go into the offseason, or at least how this tournament goes and into the offseason to see if he does, in fact, return or if he makes the leap to the NBA. They have Sam Houston State uh, first up, and that is going to be a tough matchup. I don't – like, I'm not going to make any, like, sort of, like, oh, Santa Clara could make a run. It's like this – they have a tough region. Uh, the NIT region for them is not uh, going to be – it's it's rough, a little rough, I think, on the matchup front. Uh, they also are in the same region with Oklahoma State, North Texas. North Texas is a going to be a tough, tough team. A team uh, St. Mary's saw earlier this year. So <clears throat> I think if everything goes right for Santa Clara, they could end up at least winning a couple of games and getting back to the Orleans Arena, which is where the NIT uh, championship will be held. And and as we start to like take one final step back, Santa Clara is going to be there. Um, unfortunately, LMU, USF, BYU did not make uh, postseason tournaments. I did. I did. Speaking of the NIT, we also know that North Carolina did not did receive an invite, but said, "Nah, I'll pass," which I think is some of the lamest things ever. It's not surprising, but it is still incredibly lame that. That's, that North Carolina essentially thinks themselves too good for the NIT. They've done this in the past. 
Um, and it's, it's just shameful. And I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. I don't want to dig dive too deep into like that issue, but when you have an opportunity to, to play more basketball, you should play more basketball. Like, and I think that, that is respectful to your players. I think it's uh, respectful to um, the parents and any number of those. Like you want to see your kids play and extend their careers, especially when so many will not play at the next level. And maybe North Carolina is a little different on that front, but no, still. Okay. As we flip back to the NCAA tournament, the tournament that North Carolina did not get in, what is the ceiling for Gonzaga? What is the ceiling for St. Mary's? I have said from the beginning of the year, I thought that St. Mary's was a second weekend team. I still think that to be true. I think that that is probably the ceiling that they could get back to Las Vegas for the West Regional. Again, uh, they are both in the West Regional and it would be in Las Vegas at T-Mobile Arena. So one more time in Las Vegas, potentially for the Zags and the Gales. So... I do think that the ceiling is probably Sweet 16. I think they would need some help uh, from someone else to knock off Kansas to have a shot at the Elite Eight or even further. I think that's something that has to happen. So right now, I would probably conservatively sit hopeful slash conservatively say Sweet 16 because I do think they're capable of winning two games in this tournament. They're a veteran group. They play defense. That'll travel. They shoot the three well enough. Just a matter of if they can if they can really make sure that the offense comes along with it because that's something that we have had has been a little more inconsistent uh, in the last few weeks. The ceiling for Gonzaga. I thought they were a title contender before the year, and maybe that's a little on the ambitious side now. But I do think that they are still capable of getting to an Elite Eight. I think they are capable of getting to a Final Four. I think that's probably the the ceiling is Final Four. I think that they're probably in a probably easy lock for the Sweet 16 based on their, their region and their first weekend matchups, which would be, I believe it's the eighth straight sweet 16 if they were if that were to happen and there is so i think final four lead eight final four is probably the peak for them if everything goes right i think peak for saint mary's is probably elite eight if everything goes right there is also the possibility because they are both in the west regional they could both end up back in vegas and they could end up in the elite eight against each other with the right to go to the final four, which would just be, I think, an incredible fourth time around rematch. I know a number of Gonzaga fans would be like, yeah, let's take it because we, we've kicked your ass the last couple times. But there'd just be like, like the extra level of that we have not had in this rivalry. It's almost like kind of like the Giants-Dodgers um, – rivalry that they had never faced each other in the postseason, that this could be that opportunity that Gonzaga and St. Mary's play each other in the NCAA tournament, which obviously has never happened. So that'd be fascinating to see if it actually does come to fruition. Long way, long way to go. We're not even going to like 
entertain the possibility really at this stage. Uh, got to get, for, got to get through weekend one. This is the most exciting week of the college basketball season. The tournament starts real. The, the first four games start on Tuesday and Wednesday. We get the first round of the NCAA tournament on Friday, on Saturday and Friday, both, sorry, Thursday and Friday. Both of these teams start on Friday. So that's where I'll be focused. That's where I'll be glued in is Friday, all day Friday. St. Mary's is at 11 a.m. Um, Pacific time. And then Gonzaga, I believe, is at 4.30 uh, p.m. Pacific time. So, so here we are. March Madness is finally upon us. Zags and Gales are in. And we will see if they could potentially get out of weekend one and advance into the NCAA tournament. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Be sure to uh, subscribe on YouTube, follow on Twitter, follow on TikTok, at Post by Zach. Um, uh, if you're traveling for the tournament, you probably want to actually like hit download and just like save save the podcast and be able to listen to it on the plane, on the flight, where however you're gonna uh, take in the podcast, uh, uh, do that, and uh, we'll be update. I'll be putting out some uh, new content out throughout the course of the week, and then of course there'll be a new uh, episode next week. Uh, so uh, until then, good luck to good luck to everyone in the WCC in the postseason. And I will catch you next time.